spent a week away with family. We were in Tennessee. We had a great time and uh, really, really enjoyed the, the week of vacation. But I missed you, missed being with you and, and glad to be back with you, glad to be worshiping with you. Uh, my family, once every two years, my mom and dad and brothers, we've always gone away once every two years and call it Christmas, whatever time of year it was, and this was the year for it, and really weren't sure we would get to do the trip, but a couple months ago, my mom and dad said they were up for it and wanted to try it, and so we went and got all the cousins together, and we were in the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area, if you've ever been down there in the Smoky Mountains, just had a great time, uh, but there's, what, nine cousins now? age 11 and younger uh, to just a couple months old. So I think you might understand what I say when I told somebody that we are refreshed in an exhausted sort of way. Uh, had a great time. We've gone to that area several times. And if you've seen the cabins down there, a lot of the cabins are on the side of the mountains and they, they, you go on these hairpin curves and you get way up in the, you, you wanna see the view out over the mountains and uh, have these decks that sit off the cabins. Well, we've done those several times and this time we were down in a valley. We were uh, just in a flat area which was new and it was kind of interesting and we enjoyed it. But as I was watching the hills around us, you could see the mountains around us for a couple of days. One night it got real cold, the clouds came down low over the mountains, it snowed a little bit. Where we were, the grass was green, uh, but up all the hillsides around were white, covered in frost and snow, and I wanted to drive up there and figure out how we could get up there. Just so you know where this story is going. Uh, what is it with men and getting lost? Uh, how does that happen that we don't ask for directions? I typically have a pretty good sense of direction. I would ask for directions, but I always know where I am. I don't need to ask for directions. Right? And GPS, thank you, yeah, GPS makes this a little easier now that you can just punch in the destination. Well, since we were in the valley, I kind of missed some of those hairpin curves, and I wanted to get up on the hillside and see some of those views that we had seen the other years, especially since the snow had fallen. So I'd been studying the GPS on my map, and I'd been looking to see where our cabin was, and I could see some cabins right up there on the hillside, and I'm looking for where that is on the map. And you know how you can drop a pin on iMaps, and you can have it route to the pin? You don't need to know what the address is. So. I figured it out and I said, Dad, come on, let's jump in the car, we need to go. And I, I'd been studying it for two days, so I knew where it was. I dropped the pin, I said, route there, we get to the end of the driveway. I'd been watching, I knew we were going to turn left at the end of the driveway. Dad says, turn right. I said, what? He said, yeah, he shows me the GPS. I said, okay, well, there's a road down here at the right, maybe that's going to snake us. I mean, I, I know we need to go there, but it's taken us this direction. And couldn't figure that out, but I just start following the GPS. Dad's telling me, go left, go right. Pretty soon, I knew we needed to go there. We're, we're up in the middle of that mountain over there. Completely lost. Totally didn't get to the right direction. I picked the wrong destination, right? I had been looking at the map, and, I, and, and through the satellites, I could see where the ridges of the mountains were, but, but if you pick the wrong destination, you're going to take the wrong way. You won't get there to the end goal of where you were trying to go. And if you can understand that and picture that, by the way, the views were beautiful. It was still worth the trip. I, we didn't make it where I thought we were going, but the hairpin turns were cool, and we didn't fall off the side of the mountain, so it was great. But if you pick the wrong destination, you end up at the wrong place. And the way that you are going doesn't make sense. As you listened to this passage read, you hear Jesus explaining to his disciples about the fact that he is the way. And some of them were confused and didn't understand. And they, you hear about a coming and a going and where are we going? And they, they, some of them were confused and 
there was some misunderstandings that needed to be cleared up. And I want us this morning to think deeply about who Jesus is. Because if we don't understand who he is, we're going to be lost. We're going to be confused. If you don't have a relationship with Christ and you misunderstanding who Jesus is, you're not going to know the way to go. You're not going to know how to navigate life and you will be lost. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's still possible to have a misunderstanding such that you, you're confused and you miss out on some of the purpose of life and it makes this life harder to navigate and there's more confusion along the way. So I have two goals for us this morning that for the unbeliever, if you're here and don't have a relationship with Christ, that you would know who Jesus is, that you would understand that he is the way. And if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're a believer, I want your faith to be encouraged, to be built up, to be strengthened. Because that's what Jesus wanted for his disciples. Think about where we are in the context of the book. Remember, as, as Kevin explained last week, Jesus is now in the final hours of his life. He gathers the night before his crucifixion to, have, to celebrate the Passover meal with his followers. And we're just in the final hours of his life. Final hours before his arrest and betrayal and crucifixion. And so for the next several weeks as we lead up to Easter, everything we're going to be talking about takes place within just a span of a few hours. And so as Kevin walked you through John 13 last week, you, you noticed and realized that, that Jesus was explaining that the foot washing was a cleansing, both a literal cleansing, but helped them understand sin and the need for repentance, but also a figurative cleansing where where the betrayer, Judas, was removed. He needed to be cleansed. The community of followers needed this cleansing. And so now that that has happened, Jesus is continuing the instruction for his disciples and he wants them to be encouraged. He wants their faith to be strengthened as he's only hours away from his arrest. So let's jump into this at John chapter 13 and verse 31 and understand what, what Jesus says here. John 13, 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, let me stop right there. Who was it that had gone out? Remember, this is what Kevin covered last week in John chapter 13. Judas has now left the room. Uh, we're just minutes after, you know, they celebrate the meal and, and Jesus t uh, tells Judas what you have to do, go and do it quickly. And Judas leaves the room. He's on his way to go betray Jesus. He's on his way to find some soldiers. He's on his way to turn Jesus in. That will happen in just a few short hours from now. And so Jesus said, now that that has happened, it's almost as if, okay, now the community's been cleansed. Now Jesus can go on with the teaching that he needs to, to, to encourage his followers with. And so he's going to say some things. He's going to say some things. And as he does, you'll notice there's a whole series of misunderstandings. Jesus wants to encourage them with the truth. And one by one, each of the disciples, just as Kevin pointed out, the, the foot washing was misunderstood. Now the things Jesus is going to say, they're also misunderstood. And so the disciples are going to pepper Jesus with some questions. And he's going to have to clarify and go back and explain and help them understand the truth. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. 
You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus has this instructions that he wants his disciples to understand. And he says, listen, now is the time for me to be glorified. And throughout John's gospel, his glorification was tied to his death. He's now hours away from his death. And he wants them to realize he's about to go away, just like he had told the Jews previously. They'd heard this before. And he's got a new commandment. They need to love one another. That was to be the hallmark of the Christians, the followers of Jesus, that all people would know that they were his disciples if they would love one another. And that's probably the the heart, the thrust of what Jesus is trying to get across to his followers. And he's going to take several chapters to clarify it. He's going to come back to it later on. uh, So we'll return to it ourselves. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that commandment to love one another this morning. We'll think about it in some of the coming weeks weeks, but the disciples miss it. They didn't even realize that this was a new commandment. Of course, they knew they were supposed to love their neighbor as their self. What would have been new is that now Jesus' death was a pattern for the way they were supposed to love one another. But Peter jumps right in with the question, right? It's Peter that jumps in with the question at this point. And we haven't got to his question yet. It's coming in a few verses. What, what seemed to throw him was the part in verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I'm going with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. This is what threw the disciples. They weren't keying in on the new commandment to love one another. They would say, wait a minute. Where are you going? Why are you leaving? Try to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. For three years, they, they had staked their life on who Jesus was. They had been following him everywhere. What do you mean you're going to go somewhere that we can't go? We've given our lives to you. We're, we're ready to follow you. We can't go. And, and they would have understood that Jesus had said this to the Jews before. In fact, I want you to see a couple of verses earlier in John chapter 7. We're going to start in John chapter 7. This is in some of the confrontation with some of the Jewish leaders. A few times Jesus Jesus had said things very similar to what you just heard me read out of John 13. So in John 7, 33 and 34, here's what Jesus said in the confrontation with the religious leaders when they were trying to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Then flip over to chapter 8, verse 21. In chapter 8, verse 21, and he says this again. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So if the disciples had been following Jesus and Jesus understood this message, he was trying to communicate it to the Jews that their rejection of him would lead to their death. They would die in their sin and when Jesus had gone, they would look for him and he would be gone and they wouldn't find him. Now the disciples thought, wait a minute, we're following Jesus. So we come back to John chapter 13 and they're thinking, of, of course we're going to follow you. We're ready to give our lives for you and, and now you're saying that you're about to leave. 
You're saying you're only with us a little bit longer. You will seek me, and where I'm going, you cannot come. Why can't we come with you? So look at what Peter says then in verse 36. Peter jumps in in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And here Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal, which we'll deal with more later in the series. But Peter is saying, what do you mean you're going away? Where are you going? I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to lay my life down for you. And it was, it was in some ways that prideful arrogance which led to part of his downfall and his betrayal and he doesn't realize and understand where Jesus is going and why he can't follow but Jesus says you can't follow me but after a while you will be able to this had to be troubling for the disciples to hear for three years they've staked their life on him what do you mean he's going away and so Jesus as the loving shepherd in the final hours of his life knowing that his betrayer is out Seeking to undo him, he gathers the children around. He gathers his disciples around. And he says in chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Now Thomas said to the Lord, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be frightened. He doesn't want them to be troubled. Yes, he is going away, but he's not going to abandon them. He's going to prepare a place for them. In my Father's house are many rooms. The word there means dwelling places. The original King James translated that mansions, and it's probably not the most appropriate translation. It makes you think of, of uh, a, a spacious mansions and estates filling. It's, the better idea is that the Father's house, one house, has many dwelling places, many rooms, many individual units that will house all of Jesus' followers, and he wants them to realize, yes, I'm going away, but I'm preparing a place for you. His, his death was going to prepare what was needed to secure their dwelling place, to secure their home. Now Thomas jumps in and he, does, he doesn't understand that and he just says, how can we know to get there if we don't know where you're going? His thought was, if we don't know the literal destination, then how do we know the way? Jesus just said, you know the way to where I'm going. But if we don't know where you're going, how are we supposed to get there? And so Jesus has to clarify and say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas was stuck on the literal destination, and Jesus' emphasis was on the way to get there, that his life was the way. 
It wasn't something you could find on a map and a path, and it wasn't a certain list of rules that would help them understand. They needed to follow Jesus. His life and death and resurrection was going to be the way to this place. And he wants them to understand that. So here's questions for you and I as we think through this. What Jesus before I get to those questions, what, what Jesus wanted his, under, his followers to understand and the fact that he was the way, the truth, and the life is because he was the truth, because his life provided life, he was the way. Because he was truth, because he was life, that's what made him the way. And so you have the quote in your bulletin from D.A. Carson that says, only because he is the truth and the life can Jesus be the way for others to come to God and the way for his disciples to attain the many dwelling places in the Father's house. In this context, Jesus does not simply blaze a trail commanding others to take the way that he himself takes. Rather, he is the way. Jesus truly is the way to eternal life. Now that sounds... uh, 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 restrictive in our context. Is Jesus truly the only way to eternal life? But he is, and he said that he is. And we live in a society that wants to say that all paths equally lead to the Father, but it's simply not true. And we live in a society that wants to judge us for being exclusive by saying Jesus is the only way. And there are many who, who don't understand that and who there are many who say that we are that there is no absolute truth except for the absolute truth that there is no absolute truth it's it's ironic that they're willing to accept that absolute truth but not the truth of the father that says Jesus is the only way have you come to Jesus and understand him as the way the truth and the life so two questions for us to think about in this as we try to contemplate this do you know Jesus the person, have a relationship with him. You see, it's easy for you and I to get stuck on some of the literal things, to get stuck on the literal end destination and to say, well, yes, I I, I know Jesus. I go to church. I've learned about him. I know how to pronounce Belteshazzar. And and, and we think we know and understand all of these things. But if we have missed who Jesus is, if we have missed a relationship with Jesus, we might be thinking we know the destination and we have confidence in the wrong thing when really the real destination is over here because we haven't followed the way. One pastor and author writes about this. He was was commenting on this passage and it reminded him of an experience with a friend and he says this. I was driving with a friend not long ago on a spectacular mountain road near our summer home in a Montana valley. He had come to visit and wanted to see the country and as we drove through these glacier cut mountains and, and across rivers and creeks, I was pointing out the peaks that my wife and I had climbed. I named the profusion of wildflowers, identified a spectacular 500-foot waterfall. He didn't see anything. And I looked over and saw that he was studying the map. I said, you're missing everything, look! He replied without looking up from his map, I want to know where we are. My friend had reduced the way to a line on a map. He reminded me of Thomas. Are you here this morning and perhaps you have spent your life and you have, you have reduced the way to facts about Jesus? 
to, to confessions that need to be made about Jesus. And you're placing your faith and trust not in Jesus, but in what you think is the way to Jesus. Jesus wanted his disciples and followers to understand he was the way. And you will never make your way to Jesus on your own. It's only through the blood of, of his shed blood and broken body through what he's accomplished on the cross. That's why he's the way. It's because he's the truth and because he is the life. But not only do you know the way, Jesus himself, but another question would be, do you know the destination? Does your heart long for that dwelling place with God? And I want us to come back to the text and understand this just a little bit more. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, dwelling places. I want you to see the tenderness with which God, as Jesus is there with his disciples, and he says, look, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back for you. He keeps explaining it. There, there will be a way for you to get there with me. Do you realize the, the, the special privilege of being in the presence of God, knowing him, having that eternal home for a dwelling place? Is that what your heart longs for? to know God, to dwell with him, to have him dwell with us. I'm not suggesting that the disciples understood what I'm about to say at this moment, but I want you to think about the redemptive storyline of Scripture that, that in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God, they dwelt with God, and sin broke that fellowship and relationship. It wasn't the same, right? And at this point in the redemptive scope of history, God himself has again come to walk with his children, right? And at this point, the cross is going to send Jesus back to the Father. But it doesn't mean that God's plans were thwarted. It doesn't mean that they would no longer dwell with God. It means that through Christ's death on the cross, he was accomplishing what would be needed to one day all believers dwell eternally face to face with God. And as you think about John writes at the end of Revelation, and he has this vision of one day the heavenly city descending, and that once again God would dwell with man eternally. Does that hope drive you? Do you long for that? Do you know that destination? Is that what thrills your soul to think about a God who will dwell with his children? As we were packing up to leave on vacation, our children on the last day and the last day in the morning that we left, they just they were so sad that we were leaving. Think about this, okay? To cousins, they 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 all slept in a bunk room with six bunk beds that had foosball table, pool table. They had all their toys in there. Each morning they kept waking up earlier so they could just play and play all day. They had so much fun with their cousins and both of Reed and Ivy as we were leaving. Why can't this be our home? Tears, right? We have a very nice home, but it's not as nice as six bunk beds with cousins all day, every day, right? They thought, I tried to encourage them, and you can't make a seven-year-old and a four-year-old understand. I knew what their perspective couldn't see. It's like, Reed, Ivy, if this was every day, all day, it would no longer be special, it would no longer be what you think it wouldn't be fulfilling very quickly you would be unfulfilled in that way right 
They didn't have a proper perspective of what home was. Brothers and sisters, Christians who are here this morning, do you know what home is? Do you know where home is? Do you have a longing for a dwelling place face to face with God? Right? That's what ought to thrill our hearts. That's what ought to... uh, uh, That's what ought to stir in us our longings and our passions that we're not just waiting for it on that day. What's true, what will be true in totality someday is true in a partial sense now that we can know God now that he dwells with us. I want you to see even what Jesus said. Look down at verse 19. We're not going to have time to cover all of the verses this morning, so I need to jump ahead just a little bit. But look what Jesus says in verse 19. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Go down to verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus said that because of his death, the father and him would dwell with, man, that Jesus would come that God's spirit would dwell in man. He's going to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. But when God says, when Jesus says in verse 23 that we will come to him and make our home with him, that word home is the exact same word as dwelling place in verse 2. So Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to prepare a dwelling place, a home for you. And because I live, I will come again and I will home with you. I will make my dwelling place with you. Brothers and sisters, that's what we ought to be longing for. Do you know God? Do you love God? Do you long for God? Parents, is your passion to to deliver to your children a knowledge of who God is? Now, we as parents cannot change our children's heart, but in terms of what we are showing our children as beautiful and good and upholding before them, we want them to see that knowing God and dwelling with Him and having Him dwell with us is of supreme value. And our culture today does not believe that. And I'm not talking about the culture outside these worlds. We as Christians have largely hook, line, and sinker bought that truth that that we are uh, uh, in the pursuit of the American dream and we're trying to pass that on to our children and hope that they bring Jesus along with them and it's not going to satisfy. Whatever your dreams are for your children, they're not bad dreams, but your children's greatest need is not to get a scholarship, whether it be academic or in sports, is not to have a great career, is not even to have great health. And as a parent, I know what that's like to have scary doctor's appointments for your kids. Our children's greatest need is to know God and to know that that's their real home, their real dwelling place. Look what Jeremiah says in the book of Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what we as a people should be longing for. We want to know the way to that, and Jesus is the way 
to that. And that's what we need to understand. And that's what Jesus' followers need to understand. I need to skip over some of what we have covered. So at some point this afternoon, you need to read through the rest of chapter 13. Read down through the rest of chapter 13, and you'll see a few more of the misunderstandings you'll see, excuse me, the rest of chapter 14. Read down through the rest of chapter 14. You'll see Philip's question where he, he, he says, who's the father? Show us the father and that will be enough. And Jesus says, I've been with you for this long and you still don't understand that I am the father. I'm in the father and he's in me. And Jesus wanted them to catch that. And he wanted them to understand that as he, because he was going to the Father, now the disciples would be empowered to do even greater works through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that was going to be coming. And we'll talk about that more in chapters 15 and 16 since it comes up again. But read through the rest of chapter 14 at some point this afternoon. And I want you to think about where we're at in the context of what is happening. Look back at chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God. They were troubled because they had just heard that Jesus was going away. Look at chapter, look at verse 30 of chapter 14. Verse 30 of chapter 14. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus was hours away from Judas' betrayal. Judas had just left the room to go work on this betrayal. He's about to receive his pieces of silver and come back to the garden. At this point, they're still in the upper room, but they will meet in the Garden of Gethsemane just a few short hours after this, and Jesus will be betrayed. And Jesus realizes what's taking place, and he says, the ruler of this world is coming, but look at the end of, chapter, of verse 30. He has no claim on me. Jesus is not afraid of the ruler of this world. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And so Jesus is going to move with his disciples and continue his teaching. But what's going on? Think about this. Jesus is in the final hours of his life. He knows that his betrayer has left who will go secure the soldiers who will come to the garden and arrest him. In, in chapter 12 and in chapter 13, Jesus himself says that he is deeply troubled in his spirit. John comments on that about Jesus. And using the same word in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. As a shepherd, he's gathering his children. He says, be encouraged. Have your faith strengthened. This is who I am. I am the way. Don't forget it. And brothers and sisters, church, we gather this morning around this table and, and, and we will partake of a cracker and juice which represents Christ's broken body and shed blood. And we need to have our strength, our faith strengthened in the truth of the gospel, in who Jesus is, in what he came to do for us to realize that he is the way. There is no other way. Because he's the truth, because he is the life, he is the way. And we long for that destination of being with him and dwelling with him and wanting to even experience that now through the power of the Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, may your heart be strengthened with that truth. May your faith be strengthened to realize this this is the way. Jesus is the way. His life provided 
salvation and atonement for all who would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to turn from your sin and trust in him. Realizing that you, you are lost without him. You will end up on the wrong, at the wrong destination because you're taking the wrong way. Turn from your sins, trust in Christ. And for believers, may we be encouraged as we gather around this table. Let's pray together. Let me pray. Father, we come to you and we are grateful for who you are as God. We're grateful for your broken body and your shed blood on the cross which provides for us payment for sins. You've shown us the way because you have shown us your life and your truth. And I pray that every believer here would have their faith strengthened in the truth of who you are as the way. I pray that if there's any here this morning who do not know you, who do not have their sins forgiven, that they would realize that they need a relationship with Christ, that they need salvation, that they need a Savior. They need their sins forgiven, and I pray that you would encourage us with these truths. As we gather around this table, may, be, may it be a solemn time of remembrance. May it be a special time to meditate on the truth of who you are on the reality of our sin on the reality of a, a payment for sins that's been provided through the person of Christ. May you encourage us as we go into this time, we ask in Christ's name, amen.